The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix podcast. Tune in today. Hello and welcome to Gone by Lunchtime, the spin-offs politics podcast, which has been away for a short while, but um, we're back due to popular demand, and by popular demand I mean someone left a message on your Facebook page, Ben Thomas. It was it was the most spontaneous outpouring of public enthusiasm for anything I've ever done. And Annabelle Lee, have you had any uh, people come approaching you in the street saying, what has happened to that incredible Gone by Lunchtime politics podcast produced by the spin-off? No. Matter. Well, welcome to you both. Um, uh, we have come in various stages of woundedness. Ben Thomas is fueled by ginger beer, lem sip, whiskey, or were you just craving whiskey? The, 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 the spin-off is apparently out of whiskey, so I'm, I'm just I'm just hopped up on lem sip tablets and uh, and two tank flu fighters. And you were trying before to perfect your gravelly Tom Waits style of voice. It's just not happening. How's your health, Annabelle? You're looking well. I'm in good health. Yeah, you, you were I'm talking... doing all right. I've got four kids, so I, my mental health probably isn't as good as what it, it mm. could be, but otherwise mm. I'm doing all right. Um, and how far into the the premiere season of The Hui on TV3 Sunday mornings are you? We're coming up to the difficult episode 13. Oh. Yeah, and um, Māori Language Week is approaching, so we're trying to get a little bit more Te Reo Māori on TV3. We'll see how we go. Good, good, mm. good. Ka pai. Tēnō pai. <laughs> um, ben, kia ora. You have been in Melbourne. That's one of the reasons we couldn't do a podcast, because you fucked off to Melbourne unexpectedly. I, I was in Sydney, yeah, for, for, Sydney, for a week. Sydney, exactly, like <laughs> I said. For, for a, week of, a week of putative holidays. How'd that go? Uh, I, I got calls from work every day. <laughs> I... Um, it, <laughs> You, know, you, you reach a certain age where you realise that the holidays aren't anything to look forward to anymore. It's only time between jobs and death. <laughs> On that note. I wouldn't know. I've never had a holiday. We're going to talk about Brexit. We're going to talk about Paula Bennett. We're going to talk about other stuff, including Hone Harawera, maybe even the Shuin Review and more. Brexit, Brexit, Brexit. Um, no one really saw it coming, I don't think, and the... British people have decided by a vote of 52 to 48 to escape the European Union. Did you think that was a chance, Ben? Not even the guys that wanted it knew that it was coming. Mm. And now that it's happened, they're like, "Mm." I I didn't really bother reading too too deeply into it because I I just assumed that there was little to no chance that it would happen. So I I, I had to sort of um, rebuff a a commentary opportunity that I got on Friday because I was like, I I know literally nothing about it. Fortunately, in the intervening three days, I've become something of an expert. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, so hold on to your hats for some hot takes on Brexit. I think it's interesting because me, I too, and I was paying quite a lot of attention, but I thought there's, this is just going to go because these things do. But I think sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that votes uh, have their own kind of, they're like their organisms and they have a kind of inbuilt intelligence that will drive them one way because ultimately that's what, that's what makes sense. But actually what happened is more people voted to leave the European <laughs> Union than voted to stay in it. And now they're in this extraordinary kind of, looks like almost free fall. I mean, you look at some of the... And I speak as someone who's got a pension fund in Britain. You look at the the currency going and the finance and the financial markets. It's apocalypse. Two trillion dollars wiped off the world's economy. It's quite a lot. Quite a bit of cash. Look, I, I think the markets will settle down. You know, what markets really don't like is uncertainty. They they probably won't settle down for a while because it doesn't seem like the uh, victorious Leave campaigners are doing anything to kind of bed in any certainty. Um, around whether, in fact, they intend to leave at all. Well, they had no plan, clearly. Uh, and David Cameron said, uh, reportedly said, you can sort your own shit out, or words to that effect. Um, um, I, I disagree with The Economist on this. They said he he leaves sort of as a failure and an ignominious place, whereas I think that's actually one of the best parting shots I've <laughs> heard of in international politics. I suppose the, but there's a difference between leaving with a good with a good line and leaving with a legacy of um, having not only let your country through a bad decision to allow a ref- to promise a referendum. Your that's, country, that's very old media union, thinking. And, 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 and also set um, a path... Lay a path for for Scotland to uh, secede from the from the United Kingdom. That's not a great legacy. No, no, that's right. And what 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 he actually did was um, un- unfortunately because this all all came about because of a sort of an imprudent promise that he made. Um, to firm up his own support from his backbenchers um, who were anti-Europe um, mm. during the, the previous election, which actually, it turned out, he was going a romp into anyway, but looked a little tighter in the polls than it turned out to be. Um, so, un- un- unfortunately, that's that's kind of come home to roost. But what he did was open the door to, I guess, what you'd call sort of anti-establishment forces, the fringe, mm. um, the, anti- the anti-elites, which is this kind of very amorphous swirling sort of sentiment in the first world in particular that you know depending on your analysis you know is dissatisfied with the liberal the neoliberal consensus um or or is you know a a resurgent proto-nationalism um or is just you know idiot idiot pro wrestling fans in the united states uh voting for donald trump um but it but it's certainly sort of taking a more sort of coate form like in, in in terms of um in terms terms of the world political landscape yeah, there's obviously, I think, my view is there's a continuum, and at one end there is clearly, because you can hear them speaking and writing on comment threads, there are people who are just racist, you know. And then all the way through to people who, on, in terms of Europe, had a very reasonable position, which was that they had not had an opportunity to approve this kind of stealthily growing, large, semi-federal superstate, Um and then all the people in between. Do you reckon, Annabelle, that it is reasonable to draw a parallel between what's happened in Britain with Farage and some of the populism from Boris Johnson and others via Donald Trump uh, and his appeal to people who, again, are just don't like globalisation and those forces, and then back here, our own um, Winston Churchill Peters? 
Well, to be honest, I hadn't really thought of that until you mentioned it. I, I guess so in terms of the, the xenophobia, but um, but I, to be perfectly honest, I actually didn't. What about you? Oh, yeah, look, I mean, the, the disaffected is the kind of vein that uh, Peters has been tapping for years. You know, these, these aren't sort of highly organised political, mem- uh, you know, political participants. They're, mm-hmm. they're people from the pub or the TAB. You know, um, a few years ago, they would have been people who lost their jobs in the freezing works during the mm-hmm. 80s. That was sort of the, that was kind of his power base in the 90s. Um, and it kind of continues on from there. Um, but, but what I think is different Actually, in, in, in New Zealand, who you see who's been that's been trying to actually take take advantage of that sentiment is in a very sort of all over the place, like a madwoman's shit way, is the <laughs> Labour Party. Um, you know, yeah. during the Trans-Pacific Partnership negotiations, you know, coming out with really quite radical sort of anti-trade, anti-globalisation statements, and and I, th- I think that's part of what's interesting here is that what what you know, going by Twitter and social media and commentary on sites such as the spin-off is that. You know, the the same sort of New Zealand kind of slightly academic intellectual left-wing intelligentsia that um, that has condemned the Leave vote in the EU and is sort of caricaturing the, the, the Leave voters, sort of racist, xenophobe mm. idiots, um, are actually the exact same people who opposed the Trans-Pacific Partnership in New Zealand, which is another international agreement which sets, you know, fr- freer movement of labour, freer trade, and, and does involve giving up some sovereignty... Um, you know, for sort of supranational law. I mean, it's a, there's a there's a there's a difference in scale, I guess, in in a, in a large part of that. But I don't know if it was you that was saying this, Ben, or others um, online on Twitter, which of course is an, a complete cross section of society, um, was saying that it was the, the Twitter assembly. There was something. There was something um, amusing to observe uh, about pe- people on the left. Uh, saying, but the IMF and the financial markets say this will be a disaster <laughs> when that's not typically the IMF and the financial markets aren't the great kind of arbiters of wisdom yeah and look it's it's easy to like kind of take pot shots and and you know mock people for this um you know both for the left in New Zealand to mock um the disaffected in the UK and for the right in New Zealand to mock the left for their intellectual inconsistency and wishy-washiness but what it really what it really shows is how hard it is to get perspective on these things when it's happening in your country and just how hard it is to sort of disengage your intellect from the kind of visceral gut reaction you have to the idea of foreign power over your sovereignty, um, international incursions into your country and your way of living. But isn't it also not even in someone else's country, but sometimes in your own country? I mean, one of the experiences, I think, of the whole Brexit episode is that people who were living in London or inside the political media establishment, what they might call the ruling class more generally, basically had no clue that this was really seriously going to happen because they never met anyone really who <laughs> yeah. would and I sort of feel as though there's probably that's that's a I mean to, to use the, the the much overused phrase a bit of a wake-up call for those of us who do work in media or in in, in pol- the, the, the bubble or whatever I mean is that is that I, I guess Annabelle do you think that there is a danger that we might take something that we can take something from from the experience there of the danger of not actually kind of understanding how ordinary people are living their lives and is that maybe this is too much of a a long bow but that the same thing happens in New Zealand um, and that's broken a bit by what we're seeing with people in their housing situations or blah 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 that typically we don't look outside that shell. Yeah but I think that works both ways like 
in terms of reporting on on Maori issues, you see it quite a lot where you think that people, um, for example, to draw a long bow, but um, the the shower curtain issue that came up this week, there was you know lots being said about it on social media. It was widely reported, and you just assume that most people see why that might be you know questionable or offensive. But actually, the vast majority of New Zealanders don't understand why that might be considered unacceptable to Māori. So I think everybody kind of works in their little mm. spheres, mm. and when when you do get a vote like um, Brexit. Um, then yeah, it, it can be a shock to the system, and it's interesting to see the way that the the votes broke down. Like for example, London overwhelmingly voting to stay, whereas the rest of England um, voting to go. The UK, uh, Scotland and Ireland voting to stay. So yeah. Yes, it's a it's a it's Scotland is a is a fascinating one. On the on the to 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 bring it back to New Zealand again a bit. My own view, in a way, is that if you look at the vote for New Zealand first. Over the, you know, remembering that 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 they were out of parliament the 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 election before last that you know what yeah. what, what term would they have been two thousand and eight to two thousand eleven yeah and and then even between two thousand eleven two thousand and fourteen they were floating under the five percent threshold for a lot of time now there's no question that that New Zealand First and Winston Peters who always tend to poll lower than they whether it's the shy Tory mm. effect or whatever now yeah. they're right up there they're just there's it's just taken for granted that they will figure in the next parliament and very probably the next government and I wonder if that is the same sentiment that we perhaps haven't been noticing very much the same sentiment that you mentioned Ben that the Labour Party are detecting in their polling and trying to reach out to as they you know make these sort of noises towards the you know the RSAs of, of New Zealand and and, and so on yeah, look, the Winston Peters has made no bones about the fact that he's going after the regions in New Zealand, and there's quite a bit of research that you know a lot of the regions are suffering, um, you know, and 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 that's a that, it's a pretty easy political argument to make or a rhetorical argument that mm. Auckland's doing well and Wellington are doing well and Christchurch is being rebuilt at great expense at the expense of the regions in New Zealand, mm. um, and. You know, and, 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 and this is the same sort of thing. You know, the, the Jaffers up in Auckland are taking all our money and now they're coming and buying our houses in Tauranga and Hamilton yeah. and yeah. Palmerston North as rental properties. Um, and Paula Bennett is offering $5,000 for people to... to which, 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 whether or not it's a good policy... That um, the the idea of being... If, you're, if you are... Or the Ngaruahia situation, going back a bit, Annabelle, with um, Heather de Plessy-Allen... Um, dissing it and so on I mean it's it, it, uh, I can imagine if you were living in one of those towns in New Zealand with the idea that people were being paid $5,000 to go and slum it in your community people who clearly are not ex about to open small businesses might be a bit of a kick in the teeth yeah particularly when like um, groups from within those um within those towns have been trying to get access to like those housing New Zealand homes which I think was the case in both Huntley and Whanganui and being told by Housing New Zealand no when they had whānau from within their own um, area that that wanted those houses particularly when they're shipping people into those areas there, there's already 
low employment, um, no job opportunities, their housing, you know, isn't great either. So how that's supposed to be a solution, the, I don't, I don't understand. The the interesting thing about uh, when Paula Bennett announced that policy, now infamously one day before Bill English's budget, yeah. Um, without the knowledge of Bill English or John Key. Without the knowledge of Bill English or John Key. And it was reported, I think, on both news channels as saying that the minister has taken things into her own hands. Right. So you can tell where that line probably came from. Yes. Um, and, and the enduring image I've had since then is sort of the, the, the minister picking up the ball and running with it and subsequently dropping the ball, maybe falling over the ball. The ball is now burning. It's on <laughs> fire. The, the, a flock of crows is circling the field. Um, the, it, was, it was really quite an extraordinary move from Paula Bennett um, to try and, and take the, the entire homelessness issue, which had been sort of bedeviling the government for about a month, and, and decide that she was going to be a one-person solution to it especially one day before the budget. Now, anyone who's got any experience of this, the, the communications program of the government before a budget is incredibly carefully managed. In order to make any sort of announcement at all, you need to clear that with the, the Minister of Finance's office, the high-ups, you know. It's, it's, quite a, it's quite a rigid process. You don't just sort of, you don't just kind of make a big announcement on the way into the chamber and hope that somebody tells Bill. Mm. Um, so she, she didn't make friends through that process. To be fair, it was and, a policy that had kind of been... Uh, pre-announced a while back, so it was an elaboration of an existing policy. Yeah, well, yeah didn't the, the, they do the same thing, like they were sending people to Christchurch, the, the, offering 5000 for people to see the, to, to move yeah, to Christchurch re a few years ago? For other areas. But have we seen what the results of that been? Like, has it been successful? Have those people stayed there? Were they able to find and, and, housing and jobs and those sort of things? Or is this just sort of a knee-jerk reaction that she just sort of flicks out 5K before the... I think I think it's pretty clear how it was designed in terms of political... It also assumes that there's um, not a housing crisis in those areas already, and what we're hearing is that... You know, it's not just Depuya that are having to open their doors. There's also Marae in the Bay of Plenty that are having to do similar things and run similar schemes to help people who are living in their cars and, in the regions. And the Tupuya thing, because we should talk about that. I mean, it's it's been an incredible example of um, not only the generosity and resourcefulness of the Marae themselves, but also the wider community seem to have been rallying around it. And... Um, I don't know. I guess the question that arises is whether or not this is a, from one point of view, from a kind of from one from a big society conservative point of view, this is great. This is the community doing work that 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 they can do because the state it's the ability. From another point of view, it's a shocking failure of the state yeah. where an organisation has to come in like that and 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 save people who are really really on their ass. Especially given that Tapuia is not actually a housing provider. Tapuia is, no, is a, a marae. It's, it's just, it's a community centre. So it's not actually set up or oriented for this sort of activity. Um, it's not like and, it's and, a whānau order body as such. Yeah, and, and, and Tapuia never sought to be, a, you know, a kind of official or recognised provider, um, although they did seek assistance, you know, once it turned out that they were. Um, so I, I think there's some, you know, while it does show, you know, once it's... it's um, it's, it's a very positive sign from Tapuia and from the community in general. I think you'd still kind of waited in government failure territory. I think, um, yeah, one, one of the other th 
points that it highlights is that uh, you know there is high Maori unemployment, but what the unemployment statistics don't show is that Maori um, so often are engaged in voluntary work and. You know, this is an example of it. Unemployed Māori usually do not sit around all day, um, despite popular belief, watching TV and drinking beers. More, more often, they're engaged in these sorts of community projects. And um, not saying that everyone at Te Puya is unemployed, all of their volunteer workers, but you'll often find that you know Māori are engaged in those sorts of kaupapa and you know you need people like that. And uh, Huri Moana Dennis, who's the um, chair of the, the chair, chair, of chair, chair of Tupu, I mean that he he sort of figured in another one of a, a kind of um, uh, uh, a three part Paula Bennett cock up circus, and that was when his name was um, no his the fact that he was being investigated by police was leaked to a one news reporter by Paula Bennett's press secretary um uh, and that that then became a news event in itself did did what how did you read that annabelle did you did you did you think between innocent mistake and deliberate smear oh I, it's pretty poor form is it isn't it either way i mean it was discussed confidentially with the minister it's an employment issue so for it to be shared with a one news reporter I mean at best it's an absolute cock up but I tend to think that it was a it was deliberate and let's be honest she does have form in that department um, but I thought the more interesting leak that week was when you know when it was about to, to break and go on the six o'clock bulletin conveniently um, it was the government leaked that Tana Porter was going to receive two million dollars in compensation and so it got it got pushed back that night so you know the national safety net was was there to catch her and Lucy Askew uh, Lucy Bennett sorry ben, ben you've been you've been a, sorry you've, 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 <laughs> Lucy you've, Bennett you've been a, <clears throat> Bennett, Bennett, Bennett you've been a press secretary before for many years and you've never leaked anything we can oh, say oh, that without, no of course not no. never leaked that. anything to that's, me that's, that's, and you've never <laughs> been leaked none, none of that nothing but like, like, like all we, the characters in the thick of it I am intimately familiar with the practice and art of leaking <laughs> and it is all around at all times while I myself have never no. leaked anything I don't think there can be any question about that but can you give us an insight into this do you from the way you're looking at it which is perhaps slightly different to some of us who haven't been in that position is it plausible? I mean, is it is it is it is it just the way it works? Should we just say, "Come on, this is the this is the this is the way politics work" and move along? Yeah, well, look, I mean, the first thing to say is poor political judgment from Paula Bennett's office. Um, whether whether the characterisation of it is as a leak to smear um, the chair of Tapuia, or the characterisation is this is just shit talk between a press sec and a journalist. You know, this is sensitive information. Mm. Um, you know that. Perhaps potentially reflects poorly on the government, so it's it's bad judgment, whatever the motivation. Um, but but in terms of the sort of media furore and these kind of slack jawed, doe eyed kind of wails that you know a minister's office had leaked something. I mean, leaks are the lifeblood of democracy. Yeah, they're the, the lubricant that keeps everything yeah, going. Ben, <laughs> we should be slack jawed because this guy is not some parliamentarian. He is a private citizen who had the money to tell the minister that that this investigation was was mm. going on and did the smart thing to protect the kaupapa of of what he's working on and for it to be like this frankly despicable so so what it, well look either it's a news story or it's not 
Um, lots of news. There have been lots of news stories about um, people who are receiving public funds being investigated by the police. That's just that's just a fact. Um, the, so, so the question for the news organisations who receive this kind of information, which they do all the time, you know, any story in a newspaper which says it is understood is probably a leak. Um, you know, any any story saying we think the report has this in it is a leak of the information in the report. Leaks are happening everywhere. Without, you know, uh, well, we, crust, we, we sometimes we call them off the record conversations. Crusty crusty old journalists often presenting to AUT classes will sort of say, you know, journalism is anything that they someone doesn't want you to know. The rest is PR. Well, actually, that's a description of leaks. Um, if something is only a leak if there is a reason that it shouldn't be released. Now, that could be an administrative reason, like deadlines or timelines that have already been established, or it could be because it's highly sensitive employment relationships. I mean, you know, but... But, but what, what but, took this one out of the norm was that it, 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 it was an individual who was doing something that ostensibly yeah, and the, and I, the minister was supporting yeah, yeah, yeah. in favour of. Yeah, yeah well, I, and, I, and I think if the news media were so upset about that, the response would have been to not run the information and not run the story. Well, that was, that was Rebecca was... Wright's decision, wasn't it? So Rebecca Wright's decision was that that wasn't a story and so she wasn't going to do anything. And somehow right. But then, she, then, she, then presumably she leaked. <laughs> well, and, uh, <laughs> well, well, presumably, yeah, but um, we, we can't say. I think what was interesting is that instead of just running the the leak that the media actually questioned it and I thought that was a good thing and the story became about the leak itself rather than the um, the target of yeah, it. Yeah, it was interesting. Well, it was well, interesting I, I think if that's the process that's going to be followed, you know, in the wake of the leak, Labour were circulating some incredible smears mm. about National Party MPs but in the press MPs, gallery. But they're MPs, but they're MPs, that's And there difference. were no stories about the smears that Labour were attempting to run, you know, on totally groundless information. Um, and this happens all the time. People fly things. Yeah, but they're flags. parliamentarians, Ben. It's different compared to being a private citizen working in your community, um, sharing some confidential information with the minister and having that circulated to the media. Let's come back to this another time because it's a very interesting area. That kind of there's a the, the trade-offs and the the dark arts and what have you. But there's one other part of this just before we um, of the Paula Bennett very bad fortnight or whatever it was which I think needs to be mentioned before we move on which was the the flying squad the news that was that was conveyed by the by the prime minister to the media been a flying squad as it was described weirdly of uh, MSD staff with the Salvation Army on the uh, in, in in South Auckland in an area where there were cars parked up and they had knocked on eight cars that had that level of specificity to it and the people had in them had said they didn't want any help. They liked that. And that turned out to be wrong in every part. Every part of that was there was no flying squad. The MSD didn't go out with the Salvation Army. There was no knocking on cars, and so therefore there was no one saying they didn't. And that, to me, was striking. Partly, or largely, not not just because every part of it was wrong, which is fascinating, but more to the point because the moral of that little fable was that people don't want help. Mm. Um, and then for it to be to collapse so dramatically struck me as, of all of these things, the one that was somehow the most kind of powerful or evocative. Well, to, to, to be fair, I think the Salvation Army were pretty clear that people didn't want strangers knocking on their car windows. <laughs> you know, the, yeah. I mean, we could certainly take that moral from it. Um, that, 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 that remains. Yeah. Um, no, but you're, you're right. Um, 
to be so wrong about an issue that's you know so in the public eye and then to to steer the prime minister wrong mm. about it and make him uh withdraw and retract assuming um, that's the case that's, I mean, that's 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 a heck that's a heck of a problem yeah so and, then, that, and then not to um, apologise for it, I thought yeah, that was, was interesting that was, too. That was, that, but there's a lot of pressure <clears> building <throat> up, wasn't there? And it's and you could argue for someone who's taken all these new portfolios. I think we talked about about Paula Bennett last time. Um, where does this leave her leadership prospects? Does it is it a, is it a, is it a is it really knocked her down the chain of the queue? To mix a metaphor, I mean, I mean, the short answer is yes. Hmm. It, it, it has this, um, you know, look, people recover, and she's an extremely talented politician. Yeah. She's, she's a very good retail politician. She presents extremely well. And, you know, I don't think anyone would argue that she hasn't presented well during this period. Um, and, and so once she kind of gets her, <laughs> once she gets her policy and, uh, and, and the actual substance in line, um, you know, she can come back. But right now I think she's taken a real knock in terms of, you know, the people that you would immediately think of who could succeed John Key if he was hit by a bus tomorrow. I think um, Mikey Sherman said it best when she said um, Auntie Paula is playing up and I think that's exactly right and I think that it took her so long to go out to Te Puya as well I mean besides from how she's now thought of within the National Party but in terms of um, you know the general public um, who, who care about this issue that it would take her you know weeks to get down to the place that was doing the work of her ministry is poor form. Meanwhile, um, and uh, just get a very quick thought from both of you on this, Simon Bridges has sort of emerged back um, in, in terms of achieving somehow, turning around the cabinet view on road charging. Yeah, great. Thanks, um, Simon. <laughs> is that not going to work for your commute? In no, I've got four kids to drop off oh, at yeah. different places. Okay. Um, so we, um, we'd like Simonbridge to reconsider that and we'll go back to the Jerry Brownlee. But he has achieved something there and he was similarly on the CRL. He's actually seemed to sort of achieve it. Whether or not it can be attributed to him and his effect in Cabinet, I don't know. But there's a bit of a sea change in terms of the thinking about Auckland there. Is, that, is Simon Bridges back in the picture? Is he, is he back in the picture as a future Prime Minister or leader of the National Party? I don't, I don't know that Bridges has ever been out of the picture. Mm. Um, but you're right, he's chalking up some wins. Um, he's successfully reversed the government's um, slightly retrograde position on the CRL and, and also um, uh, congestion charging. So, look, yeah, look, I, I mean, I, th I think he, he can he can keep building his credentials. Mm. Annabelle, Simon Bridges? Oh, I think he definitely has leadership potential. Yeah, I think he just needs to be careful that he's not perceived as being too smarmy, which he, he can come across as. Again, I'm talking about how he's perceived by the public, not within the party. But, you know, he's smart, he's articulate, he's Māori. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. <clears throat> well, Paula Bennett's Māori too, so you've got a good good, good uh, yes, couple of... Yes, we've got our, our, our bets hedged, but I think um, Simon's possibly, possibly a little bit more engaged with um, Z-Wee than what Paula is. Um and then there's Hone Harawera, a future future prime minister. Um, he's back back in the back in play, as revealed, as scooped by the Hui Sunday mornings on TV Three. Annabelle. Nine thirty. Nine thirty on TV Three. The Hui. Um, this is the spin-off. 
Um, what 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 is it? What does it mean? Hone is back. Is it is it is is, is he a real chance in Tetai Tokoro? I think he has a real chance in Tetai Tokoro for a couple of reasons. Firstly, his you know his support base is Te Pani me te Rawakore, the the poor and the destitute. Fortunately for him, that's a demographic that's growing. So I think he could be in luck there. Secondly, you know it's hard when you're the leader of a national organise you know of an, a national organisation and there's just one of you. You don't have time to go back and take care of your electorate and do the work that you need to do. Particularly a Māori electorate, we're being a kanohikitia, yeah. a face that is seen as the the most important currency that you can have. So I think that he's had the chance to go back to Te Taitoki to get really involved in some community projects like um, one for example is that he set up a rebel league team in in, um, in Northland that might not sound by like a big deal but when you take into account that it was he lost by less than a thousand votes you know if he's getting a few hundred people out there supporting him knocking on doors for him that could make um, all the difference for Hone. the other thing too is you know with the left and the uh, with the Greens and Labour teaming up, the Māori pa- Party are going to have to think really strategically about how they manage Waiariki. It's said that they're yeah. already starting to have discussions because, um, you know, Honed is not, uh, Te Urudua is not going to want mana to come down there and split the vote even more. So, you know, so the door is to- open for discussions. So it's yeah. not just because I was going to ask you, whereas last time round we had this kind of... Mm. Um, kind of crazy <laughs> um, uh, super alliance between um, Mana and the Internet Party and Kim.com and it was it was exactly. amazing. It was a it was a it was a psychedelic trip. Um, this time is it really Honiharawera standing as an independent? Is or is the Mana movement still alive no, and just not, mo- not visible to most of us? Yeah, I think the Mana movement is still alive and it'll it'll become more visible over over the coming months. I think the other thing that might um, play into Hone's hands as well is that Calvin Davis is performing so well ironically and you know with him being promoted up the Labour ranks Hone's going to go to um, two Te Tai Tokero voters and and he's going to say you're going to get two MPs for the price of one Te Tai Tokero are known for being politically astute they Uh have the highest voter turnout so you never know in a funny way Calvin's success might turn around and bite him Ben um, uh, do you think that that Whatever you think of some of his his views, that Hone Harawera is someone that has been missed in this parliament. No, I, I actually don't think so. Um, Hone was there the, the the whole time I was there in parliament. Um, he wasn't a very effective MP. He wasn't a hard working MP. Um, I don't think he took the time to really get on top of the issues that were he affecting his people that he was outspoken MP. about. He was literally driving off the road because he I, was having to. I think that's a really. I, I think he definitely put in the hours in his. He may not electorate. have been that effective, I, I, I but I don't think thinks, he was lazy. I mean, you know, <clears throat> little known fact, but you know, he 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 left uh, the Maori Party ostensibly over the Marine and Coastal Area um, Takatai Moana Act. Um, which uh, was the replacement of the Foreshore and Seabed Bill, which repealed uh, Foreshore and Seabed Act, which repealed that act. Now he he left that, and he actually did a Gordon Copeland and missed the second reading, um, mm. you know, because he was busy putting out press releases about his strong stand against the act. I mean, he 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 wasn't particularly organised once he left the Maori Party. I mean, Hone is a good guy, and he does care a lot about his electorate, 
and he's a very passionate guy. Um, but I don't think the parliamentary environment is where he does his best work. He couldn't have been there. I agree with that. He's a community person. Peter Sharples was the same. Peter Sharples was incredibly effective in, at a community level, perhaps not so much at a national level, but in terms of Hone being ineffective, we now have John Key talking about feeding the kids. Now, that was a mana party policy. So, if, you know, for one guy doing it on his own in Parliament with no leverage whatsoever, that's not such a bad achievement. Quickly on the Panama Papers, the Schuin Review, which um, came out yesterday, and what is is this just um, effective, uh, constructive politics that um, the Prime Minister, after initially starting off on the very defensive and dismissive, had was forced to back down, commissioned a review from an expert. Uh, the expert recommended what most. <coughs> informed and intelligent people seem to be saying already, which was that mm. we need to have um, clearer disclosure rules, better disclosure, more transparency. He's recommended it. That allows the government to enter those changes. Happy, happy, happy? Or is that too simplistic? No, I, look, I, I think the review, the review was forced uh, by the media. Um, and the review has had a good outcome, which I... The opposition. You need to give the opposition some credit for that, no? Uh, oh, sure, sure. Um, but I, th- I think it was very much it was very much driven by these sort of Panama Papers oh. stories. Now, what, what, yep. what happens when you read the report is that it sort of discloses none of the Panama Papers had any real sort of substance, uh, you know, in terms of the New Zealand Sorry, stories. The New Zealand it didn't dis- disclose any real... There was no smoking bomb. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but 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 Smoke what but, but what but what it did lead to, which was good, was a, a thorough review by John Schuin of of the provisions. What he found was that probably better disclosure rules would help, that a more active regulator would help, um, and he actually came up with recommendations that are broadly in line with what the Prime Minister's lawyer John Whitney was asking Inland Revenue for um, when he met with uh, Todd McClay um, in the in the widely sort of publicised you know elite lobbying kind of scandal. Um, what, Although, what, what was sort of lost in the discussion there was that the, the, the trust industry um, was actually asking for tighter regulations and greater disclosure provisions, and the Inland Revenue actually um, ignored them. That's, yeah, that's the, I, mean, I mean, I'm not sure that's completely clear when you look at the paperwork. Um, I mean, I, uh, the, they, they were also lobbying them not to go hard on it. They wanted to find a middle ground, right? I mean, it, yeah, 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 yeah. It, look, look, they, yeah, look, absolutely. They, what, they, what I'm talking about is the recommendations. Kind of, yeah, yeah. What, what I'm talking about is the recommendations that they were making are broadly similar to what John Schuin has come out with in his report as the sort of moderate option for um, right. you know, which he says will will take care of um, you know any potential issues. What do you reckon, Annabelle? You you you, you um, excited about the latest um, t- trust law? Super excited, <laughs> super excited, Toby. Be... It shouldn't have taken so long. They knew it was a problem. Yeah. As as um, Guyon said, who did the story for sixty minutes, they've known since two thousand and thirteen. Yeah. It's the politics of embarrassment. They've done something. There's going to be tax, better tax laws. Has yeah. it hurt them? No. Does anyone care? Besides from Ben, not really. Um, Tra la 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 la. Um, uh, you touched dis- on dis- disclaimer. Bef- we we have clients in the foreign trust industry. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thanks. Bit of bit of throw that in there um, for, you. For, the com- for the comment section. That's Exceltium, which is on uh, TV three nine thirty on Sundays. Um, the finally, Annabelle, you touched on um, 
the Lundau paintings. The Lundau paintings. And the shower curtains. <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> yeah. uh, you mentioned that in, in terms of people's kind of um, alertness to the, the gravity of issues, blah, blah, blah. So who cares about some paintings on a shower curtain on yeah. sale in America, really? Yeah. It's interesting, eh? Because people, um, some people genuinely think that. And for me, it's an eye-opener when I get those, like, uh, I grew up on Waiheke Island. I have a lot of Pākehā friends that I grew up with. Someone posted a link to the story on my Facebook page saying, this is absolutely disgusting. And a guy that I grew up with on Waiheke um, put, um, asked um, why. And, uh, you know, quite simply it's because... Um, these images are photos, are, are pictures of actual people, people's grandparents, great-grandparents. So to think of strangers not only showering with your dead loved one, but profiting from their image with no... Um, and you having absolutely no say over it is... Um, is I think any reasonable-minded person would be offended by that. Um, it's nothing really to do about any heebie-jeebie Māori stuff. It's quite simply, it's inappropriate. Um, what's interesting is that the government has had the opportunity to address some of these issues as part of the Y262 claim. It's a pretty old claim. I think it was lodged in 1991. The report came out last year. 20, 2013? Ko Aotearoa tēnei, is that yeah. when it came out? 2013, so yeah. there's been a couple of years since you know the, the Waitangi Tribunal made a raft of recommendations that would have gone some way to protecting um, you know, these types of images and to the best of my knowledge nothing significant has been done and so you have these issues pop up from one, time to time. One problem that's sort of faced by that because you know the government has addressed Māori intellectual property issues um, you know, on a case by case basis, mm. I, I think probably the high water mark is the Haka legislation, um, which was um, yeah, which was part of the Ngāti Toa settlement, and and that gives that gives Ngāti Toa a, a right of veto for commercial use of um, the Kamati Haka, and um, a right of acknowledgement um, in in other circumstances. So, but but the, unfortunately, that legislation can't. Um, affect people overseas, so we can't we can't outlaw you know Italian car manufacturers doing like ridiculous hackers. We can't, you know, and 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 this this is always going to remain a problem until we're part of a federalist super state that makes laws for its members about indigenous intellectual property and the curvature of bananas. Are you suggesting that 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 we should hold a referendum on joining <laughs> to 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 to, to enter or stay? Yeah. <laughs> on that note. Um, Having agreed that it's time for New Zealand to join the European Union, we should say goodbye. Hopefully it won't be as long between drinks till next time. Thank you very much, Annabelle Lee. Thank you very much, Ben Thomas. Thank you very much, producer Jose Barbosa Joba. Um, this has gone by lunchtime. I'm Tony Maynard. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. 
copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited, and of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Kia ora e te iwi, te Ihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.